The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straub, and today our attention turns again to the NFL Draft, and we're going to be breaking down the draft needs for the teams in the NFC South. Who do the Bucks, Falcons, Panthers, and Saints need to target? Plus, we'll be finishing out our breakdown of individual position groups by looking at the linebackers and safeties and cornerbacks who look likely to go in the first round. I'm joined today by the law firm of Froton and Nystrom, and I guys, I was just messing around when I thought of that name. And when I say it out loud, it actually kind of sounds like a law firm you can trust. That is pretty good. I wouldn't trust you guys with legal matters. But in theory, if I saw that law firm advertised, I'd be interested. Thor and I both did consider going to law school at one point in our lives. So uh, that, that may have materialized in a different timeline uh, or rift. Though. We went with a higher calling for a time. <laughs> right. I cannot tell you how badly <laughs> I want to venture into the alternate universe where you two run a law firm called the law firm of Froton and Nystrom. I just want to walk into that office. I, I can leave that alternate universe after that. That's all I want to see. I just want to quick stop by, see how things are going, and I'm done. Trust me. I feel like it would be like the the Better Call Saul, you know, from like Breaking Bad, the the, the show that with the Davids. That would be kind of our law firm, but it would be like. It's all good, man. <laughs> okay, okay. We're going to talk about linebackers and defensive backs coming up. But first, let's get to the greatest division in football, the NFC South, of course. Uh, we start with the team that actually won this division. Um, the New Orleans Saints went 12-4. and The Drew Brees era is over, of course. They're left with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill at quarterback right now. And they're potentially a little thin behind Michael Thomas at wide receiver, where it's probably Traquan Smith as the number two option if the season started right now. Eric, do you expect the Saints to target a wideout with their 28th pick? And what else does this team need? Uh, it's entirely possible. I would say wideout is one of the the three key needs. I feel like they're obviously targeting one, which they likely won't be able to address in this draft, is obviously the quarterback with Drew Brees retiring and Jameis Winston, the accuracy challenged quarterback that'll be, uh, you know, helming the Saints this year. So they won't be able to address that with the number 28 overall. However, uh, they could certainly use a cornerback. Without a doubt in my mind, you could use it. Uh, Sean Payton, in fact, gave a pretty darn, you know, effusive quote, which said, quote, corner is an area we have to address between now and the season. I think we'll be able to find that. But yeah, we lost some good players that we know might have to get our numbers below. Uh, I think that's part of operating the salary cap era. And that's really... Uh, 
what we're talking about with New Orleans, they weren't able to add hardly anybody in free agency because they are capped. And that's just life in the NFL. You know, you, you have to do a reset. So um, with their most glaring needs being, you know, a, a good shutdown corner, as well as uh, a number two wide receiver to help take the heat off of Michael Thomas. Uh, I think that's most likely what they're going to be shopping for at the 28 overall. Yeah, I, and to, to echo what, what Eric is saying, I, I would agree with that. I, I think 28 overall would be the, like if, if if either Farley because of his back or or Newsom just in general, if they had a nightmare sort of like floor slot, I think it would be the Saints. The Saints are praying, I, I would assume, that one of those four corners drops to them. Doesn't look likely, but again, you know, that would be the, the floor for either one of those. Assuming they didn't, you would have the option either to, you know, if you want to go, what would be considered a reach by some, but whether it was Samuel or Molden or, or one of those, those guys, like in that second second tier of cornerbacks or probably go to, um, you know, dovetail to the secondary need, whether that's receiver or edge rusher. I think with the receiver, it's, it's fairly similar where, you know, it's obviously the top three guys aren't going to be available, but that sort of a group that we've talked about with like Rashad Bateman, um, Tony, uh, Elijah Moore, we don't know who the saints would, you know, prefer out of that, but if they were going to go with an outside receiver, you know, if Bateman was there, I, I, w- I would certainly take him. Um, and then if those two position groups have been sort of picked clean, you know, in those tiers to that point, it, that that would be bad for the Saints. But what it would mean almost assuredly is that a, a solid edge rusher has gotten pushed down the board. So for me, that would be my tertiary need. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the defending Super Bowl champions. Mostly got the band back together. Gronk, Fournette, Chris Godwin, etc. are all staying in Tampa. I believe on the other edition of this show, in a recent episode, the question was raised by someone, I don't remember who, do the Bucs dare take a running back in this draft early on to further complicate their backfield? Do they simply go best player available, 32nd Eric? Do they target a specific need? What do you think they should do? What do you imagine them doing? Well, the beauty is for Tampa Bay, when they're returning all 22 of their starters, which is almost impossible. I mean, I don't know if any other team it ha- can boast that, but I don't think anybody will. Um, so they are truly in a whatever they feel like kind of a mode, whatever they think is most uh, prevalent. You got the edge they could consider, uh, JPP, Jason Pierre-Paul, the, uh, the Lobster Claw, is 32 years old. 
and you have Shaq Barrett on the inside. They've both been productive, but you probably want to have a succession plan in place there. Edge is obviously one of the most important positions on the field. Uh, they could also opt to, to look for a succession plan to Indomitian Sue, who's 34 years old and is currently playing three tech uh, next to last year's home run nose tackle Vita Vea. What, what a phenomenal pick that's been. He's been, he was just an anchor in the middle of that defensive line for them. And, uh, and if they want to, you know, take a look at safety, obviously Antoine Winfield is, was excellent last season. I mean, coming right in out of the gate as a true first year player and excelling in a starting role, they could look to, you know, maybe supplant Jordan Whitehead, who is a fourth rounder. He's on the final year of his contract, bringing a little competition for him. And let's face it, you know, as we'll get to the safety class now, there's there's some pretty good options there. If Tre- Trevon Merrig were to fall all the way, I mean, I, I think they'd probably take him. Um, if they wanted to kind of consider Javon Holland or Jamar Johnson, you know, you could go that direction as well. For my money, I think if Barmore is there, I mean, he would be a perfect plug and play. You got Sue there for the first season. You could bring Barmore along a little bit, and then instead of having to play him strictly at nose tackle, you could slide him over to three-tech where he'd be just a monster. Uh, so I, I think that would probably be my favorite right now fit for the Buccaneers. Tor, I think that's what happened in our mock draft, right? I think so. Yeah. And, and, and you know, to echo a couple of things that Eric said, Barmore for sure is it would be the slam dunk. You know, he's, he's the one sort of interior defensive lineman who should go in the first round. Outside of that, if he's gone, I wouldn't be uh, reaching for, you know, one of the, the tier two type uh, interior defensive linemen. I would I would go best available because like Eric said, basically everybody's coming back. Someone's going to fall. We don't know who it's going to be, but someone is going to fall and probably a couple of different guys. So um, they're in a nice position to just watch the way the board plays out. And then, you know, either take the, you know, a sort of a guy that has fallen down the board or they're in also in a very good spot where, you know, the, the teams that try to jump into the back of the first, you could potentially at the end, you know, the end of Thursday night, be able to pick up some extra draft equity. If you want to just slide to the top of the second round that those opportunities are always available. So this is one of the very few teams in the NFL that could go any different different direction because of what a good roster situation they have confirmed thor you did you took christian barmore 32nd overall well done by the way they would do backflips if christian barmore got there and and sue 34 years old how did that happen just as a side note that one snuck up on me guys <laughs> it snuck up on me mm-hmm. it's like, uh, like my 80s references didn't it exactly <laughs> The Carolina Panthers went 5-11 and 11 in the first year of the Matt Rule, Joe Brady regime. And as of now, it is Sam Darnold under center for Carolina after they traded with the Jets to acquire him. That leads us to assume they won't be drafting a quarterback, but maybe that's a flawed assumption, Eric. Looking at this Panthers roster, I mean, what are the most glaring needs? Is another pass catcher in the mix at number eight? What, what are you thinking here? Well, considering Carolina and Matt Rule, their defensive-minded uh, head coach spent pretty much their entire 2020 draft on defense, then, uh, you know, I think you'd at least be considering an offensive player if you're going to go and make that deal for Sam Donald. And it needs to be said, uh, in terms of for this year's draft capital, they didn't give up hardly anything. You know, they gave up a sixth round compensatory pick this year, which is number 226, have it, uh, as well as a second and a fourth next year. So this, the cupboard is still stocked, despite the fact that they made a pretty aggressive move to get Sam Donald. So they're in a great spot for this year. I mean, if you're going to trade for Donald, you might as well give him, you know, some weapons to work with. Obviously, you got Christian McCaffrey. Obviously, you got DJ Moore. But uh, with the loss of Curtis Samuel, I think they could seriously consider, 
you know, a Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, what, what would that wide receiver core look like? I mean, it would be a devastating. And you can't say that it's the Jets' fault anymore with Sam Darnold if he doesn't perform with those guys. That being said, uh, they I would say the most pressing need probably for me is uh, is their number one corner. They lost Rasul Douglas, uh, who's their second corner. They lost their slot corner, both of them to free agency. And this is a team that was 24th in passing EPA last season, even with those guys in town. So that's probably their biggest true need. But after they just used their entire 2020 draft on defense, I, I have to think they may be a little reticent to, to go back that direction. That being said, I mean, I, Patrick Sertain obviously would be a rock if that's the direction they're going. They're going to get him here if they want him. Um, that would probably be the prudent move in terms of the overall team uh, you know, roster makeup, but they might not be able to avoid that big, shiny wide receiver piece that's going to be available. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, to, to echo what you're saying, like the Carolina went defense, all, you know, every pick last year, like, like Eric said, if they do go defense this time, the only, it could only be cornerback. Um, and, and that's, I, I think that would come down to a decision of, do we just take Sertan if, if he's there? I, I think that's, it's sort of a, a binary decision as far as that. And then if not, I think it's gotta be offensive line or wide receiver. You, you go back to Joe Brady, when he brought up uh, Joe Burrow, when, when Joe, Joe Burrow just sort of leapt up in 2019 at LSU, they had the Joe Moore uh, award-winning offensive line, the best offensive line in the nation. And then of course they could go four wides uh, with a, you know, the running back uh, split out if they wanted to, they could go five wides. Obviously Carolina will also have the ability to do that uh, once Christian McCaffrey is, is healthy. Um, and so, like, you know, when you're looking at Darnold and this sort of like Eric was saying, like this, it's sort of a low risk type flyer on him and, and try to build him back up. If you want to take him through sort of the Joe Burrow uh, one year leap and, and you want to try to replicate that as, as Joe Brady, you have to get the offensive line and the receivers around him. So, that, again, that, that would be my my first choice, you know, if, if we can swing that at, at that eighth pick. Um, but if not, the only other guy that is in play here for me would be Patrick Sertan. Well, we're going to break down why Patrick Sertan is such an intriguing prospect coming up in a few minutes here. But first, to finish out the NFC South, the Atlanta Falcons, who narrowly missed a playoff berth at 4-12, and <laughs> this team doubled down on Matt Ryan by restructuring his contract. They also signed Mike Davis, clear leader in their running back room at the moment. Now, the Falcons are in a wildly intriguing spot in this draft, and not just because I'm a Falcons fan. They could just wait and draft whatever quarterback falls to them fourth overall. They could go big and draft Kyle Pitts. They could also trade down. Uh, Eric, I know you if you're anything like Thor and what Thor has sort of uh, osmosed, is that the right word? On to me, you're probably really excited and tempted by the Pitts option if you're playing Falcons GM Terry Fontenot. What would you like to see the Falcons do versus what they should do? And are those two things even different, if that makes sense? Well, you have a new regime coming in, obviously, Arthur Smith, as you mentioned. He is a former offensive coordinator at Tennessee, and he turned around Ryan Tannehill. So he might be walking in there thinking, hey, I, I see some things here with Matt Ryan that I can turn around which makes me think they might be leading towards a uh, you know skill position, which would be if they were to give Matt Ryan Kyle Pitts and you have Julio Jones, Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley out there. Uh, wow. I mean, I know as an Atlanta guy yourself, Matt, you must be pretty excited about those prospects. So I, I think, you know, the one thing, uh, one reservation I have about them not taking QB is, are we sure they're going to be back here in a premium position with you know, maybe a Justin Fields falling to number four, you know, premium potential quarterback. Can you afford to pass on him? 
Uh, I, that's a question that they're going to have to have for themselves. But if they were to go and load up the uh, the skill positions, I think you take Kyle Pitts and then what an amazing set of receivers because he is a receiver. You know, he, he he's can do anything he wants out there. Uh, it would be simply a devastating offense. But at the same time, you know, their defense was not very good last year, as I'm sure you're well aware, Matt. And they could use some safety help. They could use an edge. I mean, I don't think anybody's are – you, are you happy with Dante Fowler's performance last year for $18 million, Matt? <laughs> no, but he's he's now got a much more incentive-based contract. I bet he's going to be much better this year. Yeah, well, he's going to be cut <laughs> if he isn't. You know, let's put it that way. So, you it, you know, it's not a bad idea to consider that. That being said, with there's in such a good position with that number four pick, I feel like they can address that edge position in the second round and see who falls and maybe get an OA or if you want to go aside – or you like bash them. I mean, there's a slew of options there. Uh, So I think you have to get that premium chess piece. Kyle Pitts is what I'd probably do if I were them. I agree. Yeah, I I, I think, I mean, this is the obvious pit spot, especially because in the new administration, the the offensive philosophy, they want two tight ends out there. And uh, Pitts will allow them to do things that no other offensive coaching staff has ever been able to do, especially, you know, with the Julio Jones as well. You know, just the spacing and and everything like that, the downfield balls, et cetera. So, so, you know, there's two other things that I would think here. The, the, The quarterback thing is one. There's a couple different things going on there. First of all, they would be the best team for Trey Lance because Trey Lance could just sit behind Ryan uh, next year, which Trey Lance has to sit, in my opinion. So, so you know, you do that. But like, also, in, when you think about next year's quarterback class, not nearly as good as this one. Not even going to be close. We're still waiting to see which which of the guys is going to be like sort of the you know the top tier uh, type guys. But like Sam Howell's pretty solid. But there's a lot of other guys. It's like we sort of have to wait and see on them. Not a lot of sure things in next year's quarterback class, at least right now. Th- that would be the one comp complicating factor for Atlanta if they're trying to think a couple of years down the road like well what if we stink next year now Matt Ryan wants to retire and you know we're picking at the top of the draft that doesn't have a lot of good quarterback uh, prospects that's the complicating thing the other option there is I, I think they would make a lot of sense if you know if they decide not to do the pits thing they could trade down with Denver to get to nine nine would be a good spot because that's where uh, the cornerback need comes into play potentially if you get down to nine you can steal uh, Sertan probably from Dallas because I, I do think Carolina is going to end up going offense. Dallas is going to take Sertan if he's there at Ted. So if Atlanta could get clever there and, and trade down to nine, but again, you'd have to not only skew the quarterback need there because you've traded with the team that's going to take the fourth one, but it's also you wouldn't be able to take Pitts. And I think that's going to be the hardest for the head coach there because Pitts will allow him to like it's his wildest dreams to have a guy like Pitts, the, the way that he, you know, that he runs his offense. So that's going to be really, really difficult. And I, I think that's going to be the crux. It's like, do we go Pets or are we going to sort of, you know, audible to one of these other two possibilities? We talked about the alternate reality thing with your law firm before. Maybe we could just set up one reality where the Falcons take Pitts, the other where they take best available quarterback and then we just see how it pans out and then just all live in the one that's better if that's okay with you guys this is like dr strange i'm more on the thor side of the marvel or the i, I don't i actually don't know the names of the the different comic things but I, you know it's like dr strange we could just have all the the realities flowering out at the same exactly. time you know, guys, sort of yeah, yeah yeah yes yeah. i mean i don't even think this is something that is out of the realm of possibility anymore we've got the u.s government admitting that there are aliens and alien <laughs> spaceships off the coast of california so they may have the technology to make this happen, Matt. Okay. Kyle Pitts is an alien if there's any <laughs> alien in this class. <laughs> okay. Just a quick reminder, our premium product subscriptions at NBC Sports Edge cover all sports. So right now you can still get access to NBA, NHL, and MLB premium products for 10% off any subscription. Enter the promo code GOOD10. 
All right, part two of this episode, guys. We're going to be breaking down the linebackers and defensive backs who look like likely first-round picks. We begin with the linebackers. Uh, Micah Parsons opted out of his junior year at Penn State. What's the upside, and what are the potential pitfalls here, Thor? Yeah, in, in terms of upside, we haven't seen a linebacker like this in, in a few years. Uh, it, just ridiculous athleticism in an enormous package. He measured in at 6'3", 246 at his uh, pro day workout and tested in the 96th percentile overall, size adjusted, 4'3", 940. Um, and, and the rest of his tests were, were ridiculous too. 86th percentile, uh, three cone, 95th percentile broad jump. And his speed score, you know, we usually do speed score with running backs, but I, his is just so hilarious. You have to say it, 136.15, just absolutely ludicrous. And you see all this on the field, right? In, in terms of the agility, ability to get down the line, trigger downhill and everything like that. And when he comes, when he gets there, um, enormous, enormous power. And he doesn't let people go. Uh, he does not miss tackles. There's other linebackers in this class that can get there, but they let the fish you know, out of the boat a couple of times. Parsons not only can work through uh, traffic and he's not only fortified where if, you know, Lyman gets his hands on him, he can get away from also has the length, but it's the explosion thing too. At linebacker, all those things check out. Um, and he's also a very good uh, blitzer, you know, whether it's from the off ball spot or sometimes Penn State would, would put him in the edge. So he can do those two different things. The only on-field question with him, and it's not, it's, it's, it's not like a red flag area. It's just something we haven't seen as much as coverage. He just didn't do as much of that. Right. Cause like, you know, they were using him as sort of the, this guy's going to shut down the run and then you know against the pass a lot of times it, it was sending him or else they, they put him back in in zone very very few man coverage uh snaps in his entire career he's only a one-year starter at penn state so his one year starter he, he had like um 32 man coverage snaps so so that's a, an area of his game that we just don't know we know that you know at least as far as zone if he, he's in his own team he's going to be fine there you would think because of the athleticism he, he would be fine a man too just haven't seen it the biggest question with him it's it's the off field stuff there's some character things earlier in his career there was a, a big hazing incident at, at Penn State that got really bad it, it forced a kid to transfer to Cal there was a lot of allegations not only against Micah Parsons but against his coach James Franklin for potentially covering it up it was a really really bad situation so those character concerns are things that teams have to parse through and you know decide for themselves sort of a thing but as far as the on-field stuff um, it's basically all there outside of just the man coverage thing just because we haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly echo what Thor said. He was pretty comprehensive in that analysis. Uh, he definitely showed pretty good zone instincts, as you'll say. Like, man-to-man, -man, we, we, we didn't see it. But in terms of his coverage, I, I thought he did pretty darn well in terms of his instincts and zone. He drops to the right uh, depth. You see him jumping passes. Uh, did, did a nice job. You know, he had a few PBUs. I, in terms of the film work I did, I, I was impressed. My only concern in terms of on-field on play is he'll sometimes lose his gap integrity uh, his play diagnosis, he's so he's so aggressive. He's like a missile shooting in there. They don't sometimes just pick the wrong gaps to kind of shoot through and uh, and it'll allow players to players to get through. You know, you saw that a little bit against Ohio State in 2019, uh, where J.K. Dobbins and Justin Fields kind of used the uh, the RPO in order to fool him a little bit. And that's how they were able, you know, when they were just going straight running play here, turn and the ball off. Parsons was a monster and he was a problem. They started switching RPO as the game went on and you saw him shooting, you know, B, B gap when he shouldn't go in A gap. And it, it certainly, uh, it certainly opened things up for Ohio state. So that's really the only on field uh, criticism as Thor alludes to, it, it's all about that off field stuff. Is that something that happened? There was sort of a, a sophomoric, uh, you know, 
be better, you know, somebody can mature out of. Uh, James Franklin did go to bat for him, but as Thor said, you know, he James Franklin was in the crosshairs as well. So um, in terms of on-field play, there really isn't much to criticize Micah Parsons is, and he's the real deal. By the way, we've done hours. I've done hours of these podcasts with Thor at this point. I don't think I've yet heard him drop the phrase, let the fish out of the boat when it comes to a missed tackle. So I enjoyed <laughs> that one. I'm from northern Minnesota. It's it's the metaphor we use up there. Another linebacker projected for the first round is Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa out of Notre Dame. Played a hybrid linebacker safety role at Notre Dame. So maybe the perfect guy to highlight on a day when we're talking about linebackers and safeties on the same episode Ben, compared to Isaiah Simmons, who the Cardinals took in the first round last year, what do you like about Owusu Koromoa Thor? So I, I'm one of the few guys that has him above Parsons. It's not by much, um, but because of the the off-field stuff and, and some of those question marks that I have with with Parsons and the coverage thing, I don't really have any of those questions with Owusu Koromoa. You, you sort of look at him and you you see the dimensions, and then you see the LB next to his name, and I think people are like, ah, you know, there there must be some risk there. In fact, there's not. Thinking about him as a linebacker, you know, it, it confuses your sense of who he is as much as thinking of Kyle Pitts as a tight end. It's it, it's basically a flat wrong designation because. You mentioned the the hybrid stuff. They they have him at off ball, but they also put him in the slot all the time, and he also has safety duty. So you can you can move him around and and, and do various different things based on matchups. So, so that's number one. I mean that, that's why you know in part why he's not going to fail. Super duper athletic and crazy smart. His, his SAT score was over twelve hundred coming out, and the athletic pack, package he proved that at his pro day workout he was like eightieth percentile Raz or something like that. It, you know, as, as far as the size, you know, you, you think about him in the box and, you know, could, could that, you know, there, there be any issues there? There certainly wasn't at Notre Dame. The thing that he does to keep people off of him, number one, he triggers so dang fast. He does not make the mistakes that Eric was talking about with regards to Parsons coming downhill. Some of those guys, they guess when their trigger goes, or, you know, or they're, they're just really trigger happy as far as coming downhill. Uh, Coromos is very good at uh, reading the initial sort of offensive, uh, the initial movements and sort of extrapolating. And then he's just gone bang. The other thing is the length and the agility. So he's descending on uh, the line of scrimmage very, very, very quick, you know, in, in a way that gives offensive linemen different angles than they're used to. There's more urgency with that. And then again, the, the length and the agility. Uh, Cor- I'm going to call him Wu, so, but because that's what they call him in Notre Dame. Wu's arms are extremely long for his frame his uh, wingspan is only i think like an eighth of an inch less than trevor lawrence's who, who is six six it's the exact same as rashawn slater the offensive lineman and it's just about the same as uh terrace marshall you know the six four outside receiver so extremely extremely long arms I, I, again very agile and then the thing you think about with him is against the run it's a sideline pure sideline to side you know in, in terms of range by far the best in this class and then an absolute hitman um he's the hardest hitter in this class it, ridiculous hitter ridiculous ridiculous hitter um and then with the long arms the good thing about him is, is some of these guys that sell out to, to have those enormous hits you'll notice that they they don't take their arms with them you know it's sort of a battering ram thing where like they'll, they'll just sort of throw themselves like a projectile you know and, and use the, their head and their shoulders to try to you know with the impact take the dude down Koromoa comes with the hammer and then he wraps him up with those super duper long arms so matt to give you another fishing metaphor he's got a a really long net and he don't miss so he's got that stuff and then his coverage is even better than against the run and and that's for me where 
all of the risk is mitigated here and where the value starts to potentially get above uh, par sense. You know, when you talk about all, all those different things you can do, because it's not just the coverage from the off ball thing. If they wanted to, they could send him deep if they wanted to, but he's best in the slot, was just dominant in slot coverage o- over his entire career. He can stay with anyone um, that he needs to, you know, that they're going to assign him to down there. And then as far as like, uh, you know, like these move tight ends, you know, but Pitts would be the obvious example from this class. Those guys are so difficult because you don't have anyone on the roster like that, you know, that, that can possibly stay with a guy like that and then get up there and then, you know, be able to poke the ball away. Coromosa, and it, you mentioned Isaiah Simmons. Uh, Wu is the Isaiah Simmons of this class. He, he's a little bit shorter and his skills are a little bit uh, different, but it, it's the same chess piece thing. And you get a guy like that so you can do the other things and then put him in the slot and swap out your short slot corner when a guy like Kyle Pitts is out there, gets his hands on the ball, plays the ball very well. And again, he, he just doesn't give up separation out there. For me, extremely, extremely high floor. And um, the ceiling is is very high, very, very high. Th- these chess piece players, the defenders, are becoming so valuable in the NFL for reasons that you guys know. And he's going to be one of the better ones, I think, in short order. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Thor. And you mentioned Isaiah Simmons. There's also uh, Jeremy Chin being used in this sort of hybrid role. And the player that he compares himself to, Wu, and by the way, I, I love the Wu nickname because anytime you can work a Deadwood nickname and reference into anything, <laughs> I am on board. Uh, but he... He compares himself to Derwin James, Jeremy Chin. I think that's that's a perfect comp. And you see the value of these kind of players around the NFL where it's increasingly becoming more pass-oriented leagues. So you have these hybrids who can go sideline to sideline, like you're saying. Uh, if you need to stick it up in the tackles, he can do that. It's not his specialty. You know, he wasn't asked to do a lot of between-the-tackles work by uh, Notre Dame D.C. Clark Leah. But, you know, it's certainly within his range and his skill set. He can do that. Uh, in terms of coverage, I mean, he's beyond reproach. He had a 77.3 NFL passer rating in target last year. And when you're talking about, a, you know, a linebacker who can handle running backs, uh, obviously running backs and, and tight ends, but then also he could cover a slot receiver if you need to. I mean, that versatility, mm-hmm. it, it's gold in this current day and age of the NFL. And that's why you're seeing him skyrocket up boards and it's deserved. And uh, a couple more stats just to add with that. He only allowed one touchdown in coverage over his entire career. He got it back by scoring a a defensive touchdown off of an interception. That's a pretty crazy stat as well. And then one thing that we didn't mention, he's also very good on the blitz. Very, very good on the blitz. That's something the NFL will use him at. Uh, Seven sacks and 24 and a half TFL over the last two seasons. He's just so active. Just creates havoc. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. 
All right, we're now going to move past linebackers. We don't know if we're going to move past fish references at this point, but we're going to get into a few of the top defensive backs, and that conversation begins with cornerback Patrick Sertan, the aforementioned Patrick Sertan out of Alabama. I mean, from what you guys have said on previous episodes and even today, I mean, it's, it basically sounds like this guy's a ready-made plug-and-play NFL stud. Are, are there any potential concerns in his profile, Thor? I would love to be able to come up with something, but it it it, it, it would just be nitpicking things. It they really for me, he is the best defender in the class. Um, and you know, I, I mentioned that uh, Owusu Koromoa is very high floor, and he is um, Sertan is. I don't know how you could get the the floor any higher. You know, because I just don't see the way that he fails. But first of all, his dad's the eleven time. Uh, or the 11 year NFL veteran, of course, Patrick Sertan Sr. Uh, Sertan was a, a top 10 recruit uh, coming out of high school. Uh, his dad is now an extremely successful high school coach in Florida, clearly informed uh, Patrick's, you know, sort of education from that coming up. We, we saw this, you know, similar sort of to last class with Antoine Winfield Jr. When he would talk to reporters about like how, like, like at night he would crawl into bed with his dad and his dad would have the laptop, you know, when he's played for the Vikings and he'd be, just be watching the film and little Antoine Jr. Is just sitting there you know for hours watching about you know the, the film before bed it's it, the same thing with Sertan and so that's and then he came out you know again as, as the top 10 uh, overall recruit goes to Alabama and it's not only Nick Saban at Alabama he has this ridiculous staff it, it, it's not just the on-field stuff but he has all these these overqualified analysts that you know the basically fired head coach club and you know all these guys you know working whatever Sertan's technique coming out of that it's like PhD it's like he's gotten multiple PhDs in what he's doing and you see this manifest in all sorts of ways of, of his game but he's very very big his wingspan is ridiculous he's one of those guys I, I, over 78 I, I think maybe even 79 uh wingspan so he's got like the wingspan of a pterodactyl and press coverage is is you know his jam he had the most snaps period of any defensive back in the nation in the last three years but by far the most uh for a corner in press coverage and he's just so skilled at it it's, it's not just the physical tools again it's it's the technique and then the approach. He gets his hands like all over you and he sort of like siphons you off to the sideline, basically cuts off your angles from there. And it, it gets into this thing where receivers like very quickly off of the snap, their options in conjunction or in comparison to what it would be against a normal cornerback, they get cut down so quickly because he he's taking you exactly where he wants you to go in the first five yards. And then right after that, you're going to have to give him your intentions really quick, right? By, by your, your next three or four steps. And to Sertan, it, it's like he can see your cards. Like, like he's playing poker, he can see your cards. Um, and so he knows, I mean, most times during the route, you know, in, in, in that press man situation, he knows exactly what's coming and so you know both he has the movement he's got the speed he's got the agility the agility is uh, the lower thing on his athletic profile he did he did duck that at, at, at his pro day but it's not like he's a a bad sideline or a side-to-side mover um but again because he can just sort of sniff out uh, the routes before they're coming and has a very good sense for both the ball and also the quarterback as well uh he tends to be at the, the catch point quite a bit and makes a lot of plays on balls he, he broke up just a ridiculous amount of balls the last three years i think he only had four Four interceptions in college, but he doesn't have a problem with his hands. More more interceptions are coming. He he is a number one lockdown corner in the NFL, and he may be immediately. Yeah, it's funny. The, the only real criticisms you can have of Sertan is it's not even a criticism. It's just you look like at a player like Farley who has amazing catch up ability. You know, you look at Farley's got that four two reputed because he didn't run, but you know, you see him if he gets burned, he catches up in a snap. The problem is we don't know if Sertan can catch up because nobody gets past him. He's he's stuck to them. Um, he's never rushed. You know he's so cool, calm, and collected. He doesn't panic. 
Um, he, as you said, he's great at directing uh, other players. Smooth, instinctive. Uh, his balance, he's always on balance. You never see him reaching or taking false steps. Economy of movement in the steps is perfect. I guess all you could really say is he didn't do the three cone in the shuttle at his pro day. Cause so did he, you know, how's his change of direction skills, but on tape, none of this, none of it matters. Uh, 44% completion rate on 48 targets last year. And in run support, one of the few complete corners, cause you can, you can nitpick on some of these corners in their run support. You can on Sertan. He's right as rain. His techniques flawless gets low fires. up. everything about him is clean and precise. Uh, love him. Three names left to go, and next we get to J.C. Horn from South Carolina, who ran a 4.3940 at his pro day. Sertan, by comparison, ran a 4.46. Obviously, you don't boil it down to just that. There's a lot more, a ton more that goes into it. But how does Horn's upside compare to Sertan's and the other corners in this draft door? Just in terms of upside, he's right there with with anyone. Absolutely, with Sertan, he is already there. You know, and he's he's going to, of course, get better. But it's already more of the the finished product. Horn is, we saw the improvement every year and, and ostensibly he's going to keep improving. So, so that's the sort of thing you bake in there, but that's the difference between the two is right now Sertan's ahead of him. But like, I think of those two guys, like I'm not the biggest concert guy, but in high school, I, I went to a, an Aerosmith concert and uh, I, because a friend gave me a ticket and beforehand they do like the intro show, you know, someone else comes out and they had, do you guys remember Andrew WK? I do. A friend of mine played, a friend of mine played guitar in his traveling band before he's a wild man. Maybe I saw him, uh, but you know, it's like, it's like the party hard song and like headbanging type music. And I, I thought that was fairly inchoate as far as with Aerosmith. But when you compare uh, uh, Sertad to Horn, it would be like Andrew WK, like opening for uh, Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton is, is Sertad, you know, it's just, he's unplugged there on the, you know, like out on the stage and everything is just so smooth and everything like that. And uh, Horn's technique is, is more of just the wild child thing. It, it's like, he's plugged into a socket, you know, he's like jittery and stuff like that. Um, so explosive. So twitchy um etc draws a lot of penalties though um and, and that that is going to have to uh, cut down but just as again as far as just sort of that electric type athleticism and then he's just a yapper on the field which is weird because they say off of the field he's not uh, but his dad of course is joe horn the nfl veteran uh, wide receiver there's a ton of cornerbacks in this class that, that have nfl fathers but joe horn was like he was a big yapper too uh, apparently they say that jc is not that way off of the field but on the field he talks crap like no other um, broke up a bunch of balls. So that stuff's great. He actually had, uh, I think half the interceptions that Sertan did in college. He, he only had two. So, we, we, you know, he's at the catch point. So often Horn is that we want to see him, you know, start to come away with those balls. Very good at locating it and then crash into the catch point. If he asked, we're making up that ground to get to the catch point. The amount of balls that he got his hands on, again, very, very high. Just need to convert some of those into interceptions. The two concerns with Horn on the field, um, number one, I, I mentioned it before, it's the penalties. Number two, he is not a good tackler. He he had a troubling a troublingly high uh, missed tackle rate. And we need to improve on that as well. Like it was over 20%, which for me is where you start to get into red flag territory. If he can work on, on that tackling, improve the technique a little bit where it's, he's not doing as much of the the hand fighting, you know, going downfield and stuff or, you know, s- slipping that offhand around when the ball's coming down, you know, the, the ref sees it right there. If he can do those two things, he absolutely could become the best cornerback in this class. Before you jump in, Eric, I just got to say, Joe Horn was the ultimate talker, the cell phone celebration. Classic. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it, clearly the apple is not falling far from the tree here. Uh, another thing I like about his son, JC, is uh, keep in mind, he's only 20 years old. He's the youngest yep. guy in this class. 
there's still a lot of room for growth. And in Will Muschamp's defense, you know, before he was unceremoniously sent packing, uh, he was a straight press man corner. He only gave up eight receptions and 24 press man targets. He was strictly, it, it was a very simple game plan for him. There's the team's number one wide receiver. You follow him all over the, the field and you shut him down. And he did a phenomenal job of that. I mean, it, there's no doubt about it. And like you said, he's got that pugnacious attitude, physical, confident, even to the point of being brash. Um, but that's what I want to see from corner. I want somebody who's aggressive. So that's not a problem to me. Like you said, as Thor alluded to, uh, aggressive to the point of, you know, drawing penalties. He's not going to be able to get away with that as much in the NFL. He's going to have to refine his technique a little bit. You can't just bully everybody. He does have the requisite size and length that you want to see. Um, but it, in terms of his run support, horrible. Just a terrible in run support. 25% missed tackle rate in 2019. 22% missed tackle rate in 2020. He's not as poly. And that's where you see Sertan. And that's why, you know, we talk about him so glowingly. is because he's that finished product. Uh, both Horn and Farley are both... Uh, not as willing and as polished in their run support. And and two other uh, stats that, that that I thought I tossed out just you know jumping off of that uh, horn last year per PFF number one in in the FBS with over twenty seven coverage snaps per catch allowed. Eric mentioned that he he allowed less than ten catches. He was number one in, you know in, in in terms of that. The one other thing that we didn't touch on with him, I mentioned the the ludicrous athleticism, the high four threes, 40, 41 and a half inch vertical. Um, he was over eleven inches in the broad jump. One area that I'd like to see him used in a little bit more, Muschamp trusted him very much as a press corner. And to Muschamp's credit, um, Horn's development, again, was insane. You know, every single year he was on campus, you saw noticeable jumps up in in most categories except for tackling. Uh, but the one area where we also saw him sort of dominate, but very, very small sample, but I want to see more of this in the NFL, it's coming as a blitzer. So he only got 19 blitzes, only 19 singular opportunities to blitz in college. In those 19, six pressures, three hurries, two hits, and a sack. Um, you know, both of his last two years, he had PFF pass rush grades over 91. Obviously, a very, very small sample. But uh, when you watched him blitz, he was always getting there, always creating havoc. So, so that's just another thing his NFL team could sort of bake in. I don't even remember why you brought up an Aerosmith concert a few minutes ago, Thor. Because Horn's Andrew WK and, uh, and Sir Tad's Eric Clapton. Okay. Dazed and confused, mandatory viewing after the taping. Absolutely. Well, all right, all right, all right. Last <laughs> last corner we're going to hit today is Caleb Farley. We mentioned him a minute ago. You said he didn't run, Eric. He's recovering from back surgery this spring. Though he told Peter King from Football Morning in America he's gotten full medical clearance. Any concerns for you there, Thor? And beyond that, what's to like about Farley? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not a medical expert, but I did say at the Holiday Express last night. Uh, he, <laughs> as, as far as the back stuff goes, it, it's just it's the general concern, right? And you know, just historically, because of other guys, we've seen this manifest, you know, multiple times when they they start to have multiple back issues. With Farley, it, it was a weird story where um, actually the whole story is weird. You know, he, he went into Virginia Tech as a three star athlete uh justin fuente who is very very much an offensive coach uh made him a receiver in, in the same way by the way with the safety we're not going to talk about this guy but divine diablo also began his career at uh at virginia tech at a wide receiver before getting uh shifted to safety and farley was going to start for virginia tech as a true freshman at wide receiver in 2017 he was an early enrollee and he was torching people in the spring game but he tore his acl and so then when he came back in, in 2018 they shifted him uh to cornerback because at, at this point they had a bunch of young 
young wide receivers that, that had emerged. A part of the reason why Diablo uh, was a you know was switch shifted def- defensive back as well, and right away he flashed. Farley did. We saw the ball skills and we saw the athleticism, you know, and we saw the toughness, that that sort of stuff. He got burned a little bit in coverage, but there's that season in 2000. It didn't happen in 2019. We'll talk about that in a second. But in uh, there was some context there in 2018, which is the summer before, you know, I don't know if it was a month before, if it was in August or if it was in July, but he had, he, he was in the weight room lifting weights and he had sort of a freak accident, hurt his back. Farley decided to play that season with, with a back injury, playing through pain the entire time. And you have to imagine that a part of it was like he'd missed his true freshman season with the injury and was like resolute. I am not going to miss this season. And again, he, he played well. It, there was he got burned a couple times, but outside of that, made a ton of plays on the ball and, and everything like that. But again, was playing through that. And then that thing started to crop up in, in the years after that. A couple different times where the back issue cropped back up. Matt, you mentioned in March, this was like a week before his pro day. He had a I think it's called micro dice. Oh man, I'm not a Mic- doctor. Micro dissectomy, something. Micro what do you micro discectomy. Discectomy. Okay. So anyway, that's uh, um, it, you know, it, it it has to do with removing damaged sections of a, of a herniated disc, basically. And he did go to the combine rechecks, and you know, like you said, they they, they gave him you know the the sort of thumbs up on that. With some people, there isn't issues going forward. There are people that you know get through that. There are also people that they never do. It is always there. Um, and you know, with athletes, that's the concern that you know eventually it's going to get bad enough where it, it's going to shorten your career. If Farley is over that w- with the back stuff you could put him right around cornerback one. His ceiling, you know, just in a vacuum, is probably the highest in the class. And in 2019, we saw more of that fully formed. Caleb Farley in, in his second season was just absolutely dominant. Um, he only gave up, uh, I think, 18 uh, catches. Or actually, no, he, he, gave up, he gave up less than that. But his PFF grade that season, the only outside cornerback in, in 2019 to have a higher PFF grade uh, than Farley was uh, Derek Stingley Jr., who's going to be a very, very high pick uh, next season. The only other guys that did were slot guys. He, he was just dominant. And then the ball production was just stupid. Again, w- with Farley, the athleticism's crazy. The ball skills in particular are insane because, you know, Eric mentioned, like, even if he gives up a step, he can catch up to anybody. And where he gets really scary, it's not in the route it's when the ball's coming um he's very good in those like initial like the seconds leading up or the split seconds leading up to the ball getting there like in terms of positioning and then he goes up for the ball with the wide receiver as though he is the wide receiver you know it's like it's like this sort of flip thing and then sometimes you'll see receivers be like what the heck you know that they almost have to turn into a defender sort of a thing the ball skills that he brought from his receiving days when fuente was like oh my gosh this kid's going to be a star wide receiver in the acc he brought with him to, to cornerback and what we saw you know the things like again playing the ball stuff like that catching up with when he seated that separation sort of the makeup stuff some of those things were, were very very nice to see for a young corner and then those high-end explosive type plays if he's over his, his back issues he's going to be a steal that's the risk here. Certainly. And he's versatile too. We saw him excel in zone or man coverage, you know, which is something that Horn really was only asked to do uh, man coverage. Farley could do both. You know, he has good instincts. His ball skills, his ball skills are phenomenal. I, I have no yep. problem saying that 25 pass breakups in only 24 games, extremely productive. The only things you could really ding him against the seven of 19 tackles in 2019, he missed that's, you know, 27% missed tackle rate. That's not great. But, you know, we're talking about cornerbacks. It's not exactly there what he are out there to have him do. Um, he had a 27 uh, and 27 NFL passer rating against 27%. That is astounding in terms of that productivity. Um, when it comes to the discectomy, two of the more prominent 
athletes and the more recognizable ones that have had this very same procedure in recent years, Tiger Woods and Tony Romo. We know about what happened with Romo and ended up ending his career, but he played into his mid thirties. Uh, Tiger Woods, you know, later on in life, had that surgery, came back, won the Masters at 41, whatever, 42 years old, but then it, it cropped back up. With Farley, he hasn't just had one, he's had two surgeries, okay? So that's important to point out. This is the second one he's had, and he's still a young guy. You have to think, is this something that's going to crop up? And it's a real concern, because you've had two of these back surgeries. This is serious business. I don't know how much uh, it, it'll knock him down or, you know, what the medicals look like and how the NFL teams feel about it. But it's a legitimate concern. And I think that's that's the real one thing you can point to to say, all right, you know, is Farley worth the premium investment it's going to take to get him? Um, the other thing is, and lastly, he is experienced. Like Thor said, he was moved all over the place. You know, he, he I think he played even uh, quarterback in high school, switched over to wide receiver for a while. Uh, he's only had two years of playing corner. So he's still very raw in terms of technique and overall polish and skill. And his first season, like Thor said, he was injured. So he wasn't quite as productive. It was really 2019 where he broke out and put himself on the map. So you got one year of elite production uh, out of Farley and you don't have that, that full body of work that we've seen from, you know, Horn who right out of the gate was a freshman All-American in Sertan. And we should mention too, just out the door, he wasn't injured in 2020. He was the first opt out. He was like the guy that started like the opt out thing, but he'd had one, one of his parents had died and he, you know, he, it was like, I mean, what he told reporters was I want to protect my father, you know? Um, so I, you know, he didn't want to put himself at risk, but th that's the reason he, he didn't play in 2020, but it, it is something to consider. Okay. The last name on our list and one of the top projected safeties in this draft is Trevon Merrig from TCU. Sounds like he's maybe less than an athletic freak, but a real solid coverage defender, Thor. What are your thoughts on him as a prospect? Yeah, and he's he's certainly athletic enough for for what he needs to do. You know, it's like was he seventy eighth percentile, something like that, seventy uh, fourth, I, I guess. Ran a four five, four one nine shuttle. Both those were seventy second percentile or above. Um, and his splits were were very very good, um, which you see on tape because he is um, just flash quick in in closing. You know, from deep and then coming up with for the ball gets there real fast. And he diagnoses so fast. You, you see this in both. The, you know, manifest in both the pass and the run. Usually I wouldn't take safeties in, in, in the first round, but Merrick's uh, skill set, it, it's one of those things where, again, it's it's more diverse than you, you typically think of with um, just a regular safety. As a safety, what you think about ball hawk, ball hawk, ball hawk, and, and ball skills for days, broke up just a ton of balls in college. In fact, the last two years, he led the nation in, in pass breakups for a safety each season. And then the interceptions came with that. Um, he played slot cornerback in high school, and he can do that as well they did a lot of that at, at tcu so, so he was playing out of the slot and then he also is is a hitman um not quite to the degree of woo um but he brings the lumber as well to the point where they can play him in the box tcu and they did a little bit so so this is a guy who's extremely versatile and then can play in any scheme so so the versatility is, is going to play no matter what very efficient player you don't see a ton of mistakes you know out of him and then he also brings sort of the the explosive plays and he gives you that matchup sort of uh nullification factor too so for those reasons reminds me a little bit of, of a local guy for me here in Minneapolis Harrison Smith just in terms of all those different things he can do he's not a sprinter you know you know so in terms of the athleticism if you're going to nitpick it's that but it, it, he's got that burst 
and the burst is in conjunction with the way that he reads the field. He's one of those guys that, that reads it really quick. And so when you got that quick trigger, the you know, and then the burst to close, and and you're sort of uh, you know taking your initial steps before other dudes do. He can be you know five six yards upfield before another guy would trigger. Um, and then again, when he gets to the catch point, he's he's going to be very very active there. The one quirk that I noticed with him. I'm not concerned about about Merrick in in coverage at all. Um, you know, again, he he can do whatever you want, whether it's in the slot or whether it's it's back. You don't want him in the slot against against a speed guy, but as long as as it's not just a you know a guy that could potentially take him over the top, that that's when you can bring him down. But in the run, one thing you notice about Merrick is, again, awesome eyes, awesome field vision, very good uh, diagnosing, but he trusts his eyes implicitly it's it's like ron burgundy reading the the teleprompter you know and whenever the teleprompter is right you're going to get the best newscast out of burgundy but once someone puts a lie that shouldn't be in there you know burgundy sounds like an idiot and he he swears at san diego and everyone gets upset with him with merrick it's the same sort of deal where like i don't think that he misdiagnoses it's just sometimes what he thinks he's seeing he can make mistakes like that and, and you'll, you notice this more in the running game where like in the run game but also when there's there's he's sort of in a throng of bodies it's like it becomes like this sort of information overload thing and there was a couple times where you saw his like brain glitch and i put a, an, an example of this in in my column the safety column as far as one specific play where it was like a you know the running back was going through the hole at the exact second that merrick basically shuffled out of the the lane directly up upfield and there was absolutely no reason for him to do it outside of he saw this this outside receiver and just momentarily became preoccupied with him for reasons that i i don't really understand it, you know again it, it's just the conviction of his eyes which 98% of the time it manifests in something really good but there's like 2% of the time and it mostly happens against again against the run because there's more bodies uh coming that's what seems to be harder for him in in terms of processing if he gets there um, which he almost generally does. He he's very reliable again, and, and he gets there quick. But there, you, you'll see just a couple times where he misreads it because he trusts his eyes so much. And, and and in that case, he took himself directly out of this running lane, and where he should have been triggering downhill and stopped it for like a you know a two yard gain or so. It became like a forty five yard gain. There was a couple instances of that. It, it's a very very specific quirk, w- which is good because you know you can work with that. Um, but if there was one thing that for him to to work on at the next level, it's that. But outside of that, again, very reliable, scheme versatile, and you can do just about anything you want. You're so wildly productive uh, in both 19 and 20. As Thor mentioned, he led all safeties across the nation in pass breakups both years. Okay, so not just cumulatively. He didn't just have one big year. He went out and he did it at the highest level you can do it in both 19 and 20. And when it comes to his ball skills, you know, he isn't just good at knocking balls out of the air, but he's also really adept at ripping. You know, if you see, he's always around the ball. He's always close. So when you see a a few times on his tape, you know, receiver has the ball in his hand and he's coming through and he's violent in terms of when he's tearing at that ball, ripping at him. Um, He's tenacious with it. So I, I really like that aspect of how he's an attacker, you know, when it comes across. And even though, you know, he can lay, he can lay a hit, don't get me wrong about that, but he's cerebral in that he's it's functional the way he's attacking. Some guys are going to go for the big stick when they see that guy coming across. They say, he's going and ripping at the ball. And a lot of times it's going to be more productive to keep the ball out of his hands rather than going and laying the big hit. And then maybe you get, you know, you take a shot or, you know, however it goes, maybe you bounce off of him. But, it, you know, he's very, very cerebral in that sense. He's allowed a career 51% completion rate. Which is just astounding because he he was on the field all the time. I mean, you know, Gary Patterson built his defense around him. You know, he won the Thorpe Award last year. 
second team All-American, you know, in consensus all around. Uh, he's versatile. And that's really what makes him special and, and a first round player is because he can go and lay the boom and run support when needed. And like Thor said, you know, when he's coming, he, he reads it and he's on a snap. He's on it. You know, he's flashing right to that ball. And you see several, you know, nice quality form tackles. Uh, on in running plays. So the fact that he can, he's excellent in coverage, you know, beyond reproach, very, very good. He's going to cover any back. He's going to cover any, any, you know, tight end that you need to. He can come up to the, you know, and play in the box if needed. But box safeties nowadays, they're a dime dozen. You can find box safeties in, in the late second, you know, early third rounds. That's not that tough. What makes him special is his coverage skills compared with his ability to come up and run support. Okay, that's the end of our breakdown. Be sure to check down the write-ups. Check down? Check out? I, I don't know what's going on. Check out the write-ups on all these players and more from Thor and Eric at NBC Sports Edge. Anything else to mention on the site, fellas? Well, uh, we're now done with our, our position breakdowns, our position deep dives. This, the safeties came out yesterday. Um, coming up for I th- both of us, you know, Eric and, and I are going to have uh, mock drafts coming out. My Thor 500 big board with the 500 comps is coming out tomorrow. Um, and then mock drafts and, and rankings and, and all that sort of stuff. And in the week we got left to the big day. Also tonight we have a live Twitch going on where Thor and I dive very deep into the player props that we really didn't get a chance to get into uh, in our last podcast here on the good football show. Uh, we can't wait to tear into some of these. Okay. So if you hear that, if you hear this on Wednesday, check that out. You can follow these guys on Twitter at Thorku at CF Froton. Thor, Eric, thank you guys. And thanks to all of you for listening. We will talk to you soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.